First Kings 2 is where we are today. This can be found in your pew Bibles on page 265, page 265. We're at the very end of David's life. If you want, over the weekend, you can read through the parts that we weren't able to preach on together and look at together. But tonight, we're at the very end of it. So we'll be reading 1 Kings 2, verses 1 through 12. When David's time to die drew near, he charged his son Solomon, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong, be courageous, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Then the Lord will establish his word that he spoke concerning me. If your heirs take heed to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail you a successor on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you know also what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasser, son of Jether, whom he murdered, retaliating in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals on his feet. Act, therefore, according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. Deal loyally, however, with the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. So for with such loyalty they met me when I fled from your brother Absalom. There's also with you Shammai, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Baharim, who cursed me with a terrible curse on the day I went to Mahanaim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death with a sword. Therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you must bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Then David slept with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. The time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. This is the word of the Lord. These last words from David are a little troubling, aren't they? You get the nice part, those first four verses, where it's like, be strong and courageous. Love the Lord your God. Follow his commandments. And then you have that, and here are the people you need to kill. It's like, David, benevolent, good king. David, mafia boss. Right? Those, those are the two things that come up here in his very last words. You've got the beauty and the nobility and the ugliness, the bloodshed. I had someone say to me this week after studying David along the way and said, you know, why is there that line that Samuel uses when he speaks to Saul and says that God's already appointed somebody and, and, it's, and it's a person after his own heart that's going to be next? You, you know, because once you get to know the story of David, you're like, really? 
This was the guy after God's own heart? And, it, and it's an obvious temptation to want to say, well, he can't be because there are these two counterbalances that kind of go all the way through David's life. And like her, we want to have the good stuff, the first four verses, be strong and courageous, my young son. We want to have that part. We want to have the shiny and the new. That's what's appealing to us. This ugly stuff about here, the people you got to kill off. I mean, the last word he, words he says is, you know, you bring them down to Sheol. It's like, really? If we just want the shiny, pretty, good, beautiful stuff, we miss out on the whole life of David because this was his life. It was a mix of the beautiful and the ugly. And here at the end of his life, we get what we got through the whole rest of his life, this beaten up man showing his scars, showing who he was. At the end of his life, he's not surrounded by his family members telling them how much they loved him. He's not surrounded at the bedside with, with them all singing his psalms with him. He dies in the middle of a family squabble about who's going to be the next king. That's how David goes out. When I think about the life of David... I had a very strong image this week, and this was it. This is a very old golf club. This is a golf club that belongs to a friend of mine, and the grip is completely worn, and it's old and totally beaten up. It's a literal wood, a four wood. It's literally made out of wood. Some of you have never seen this before. It's like an antique. And, and you can see that someone has managed to wrap electrical tape around the base of the club to keep the head of the club from flying off the shaft when you swing it. And you can see that it's not completely straight. Right? And when I was thinking about the life of David this week, I was thinking about this club that has been so beaten up and broken and mended. I was thinking, man, how often don't we feel exactly like this? You know, we go to the dance guild and we watch those guys who do the swing dance and they're like throwing the people all over. And you think, oh man, I can't dance. I'm never going to get a girl. I'm never going to have a girlfriend. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have babies because I can't swing dance. I'm just like, I'm just like a sad old golf club. <laughs> or you think everybody else knows where they're living next year. They've all found buddies. They've all found apartments or houses, and we all want to follow the rules. <laughs> so no one's going to live more than four. And I can't find a place to live. I'm going to be in a tent on the commons lawn. Nobody wants me. I'm like an old golf club. Or you sit in class and, and there's somebody there and you know she's always putting up her hand. 
And whenever the prof calls on her, she always has the right answer. Like all the time, she's always like, got it, nail it, got it. And you're like, oh man, I can't do that. I don't understand these formulas. I'm like a beat behind the entire class. I'm like an old golf club. Or you listen to somebody else's testimony and you think, that is a good testimony. Wow, that person has a story. My testimony is so boring. My story is so boring. Nothing really happened, and I'm like an old golf club. We look around us at the shiny and the new, and we look at ourselves and we think, kind of like an old golf club. David was kind of like this. My friend who owns this club loves this club. And he keeps it in his bag. And when I golf with him, that's me, golf, when I golf with him, and we're with other people who've never seen this club, he'll pull it out of his bag and he'll tell the story of how he got the club, and he'll like show him the tape. And because he got it from somebody that he loves and he likes to tell the story, everybody thinks, oh, that's nice, he keeps the club in his bag for like sentimental reasons, that's very sweet. But he doesn't put the club back in his bag. He walks up to the tee, and he lines it up. Don't hit the club, Mary, don't hit the cross. <laughs> then he lines it up and he looks, and very easily, he hits the ball far and straight and true, and everybody who's got one of those big Bertha clubs in their bag, they're all like, what? <laughs> because this is a club that rests in the hands of a master. David lived his life in the hands of a master. Do you remember that first sermon we had in the series when we had all the big guys up here and none of them were chosen to be anointed? And then from the back, the little guy came up and he was anointed. And we were reminded that when it, God anoints someone, it's about God's commitment to the anointed one. It has nothing to do with the qualities of the anointed. And then what did we do in that service? We anointed you. We anointed each other. Because we were reminded, as we looked at the life of that little boy, that he was in the hands of the master. And we told the story of David and Goliath and we talked about how demons fall down and that our lives are in the hands of the master. And we talked about that story when David is all mad at Nabal the fool and Abigail bursts into the ugly situation with the beauty of her character and calls him on it and David remembers once again that his life is in the hands of the master 
And he gets the kingdom and he gets the ark and he dances before the Lord and we danced together in the fine arts center because our lives are in the hands of the master. And when David sinned before the Lord, sinned so much that it broke him in two, God reached out and pulled him from the precipice and brought him back into relationship and mended him together again because David's life was in the hands of a master. And when David was on his face before God, pleading for the life of his baby child, and God said no, David got up and went and worshipped because he knew that his life was held in the hands of a master. And when the troubles roiled in his family and he was ushered out of Jerusalem and the curses came down on him, he wondered if God may be doing something even in this ugly situation because he had learned that he was in the hands of a master. And so tonight when we read this very uneven passage in which he extols Solomon to be strong and courageous and follow the Lord and also to kill off these enemies, we're reminded that he was a beat-up old golf club, broken and mended, and that he didn't get everything right, but that his life was held in the hands of the master. There's really only one question tonight. Is your life in the hands of the master? It's so tempting to look at other people's lives and think of them as shiny and new and they've got it going on and I have nothing. It's so tempting to look around and see everything that everybody else has and feel like this and think, how can God use me What is God doing in my life? Will Williman, who served for a long time as the dean of the chapel at Duke University, he had a student who came up to him and said, I just don't think I'm really qualified for much of anything. I really don't think God can, I don't really think God can use me for anything. And Will Williman said, hmm, have you killed anybody? And the student said, no. He says, oh, well, he said, Moses did that. And then he said, "Um, have you ever committed adultery with somebody and then had her husband killed? And the student said, no. He said, oh, well, David did that. And then he said, have you ever just stood by while somebody innocent got stoned? No, says the student. Well, Willman says, well, Paul did that. He looks at the kid and he says, well, God seems pretty intent on using people with sordid pasts and broken lives who are incompetent and unprofessional, so I'm really afraid that uh, he's going to use you. (laughs) Because out of all the clubs in God's bag, if you will extend the metaphor with me, He doesn't pick the shiny ones. 
If there's anything we've seen from the life of David, it's that he picks the little kid who's out in the field. He picks the runaway who lives in the cave. He picks the man who can't always control his temper. He picks the adulterer, the murderer, the bad father, the one who on his deathbed can still clearly name his enemies. God says, yep, that'll do. And he swings. Are you living your life in the hands of the master? Some of you are, and I can tell. Because when things don't go your way and when God says no and your team doesn't make the final four, you're all right, you're resilient. It takes you a day or two, but you hang in there. And for others of you, you wrestle with God and you lament and you pour it out. You're living your life in the hands of the master. And some of you, it's time. It's time to choose. It's time to stop pretending to be a really shiny club who's got it all going on. And it's time to place yourself in the hands of the master. If you haven't committed yourself to Jesus Christ, tonight would be a great night to do it. And we're not gonna do anything flashy, but if during this time of praying and singing afterwards, you just dedicate yourself, great. And if you wanna come and talk with me or anybody else who's up here or Pastor Paul, if there's a grown-up around here, like over 25 maybe, maybe you want to seek one of them out or maybe you want to go home this weekend and talk about it with your parents or talk about it with your pastor at home, but don't delay. Because let me tell you something. There's no safer place to be than in the hands of the master who loves this club. Will you pray with me?